peoples of the Worldwide Federated Internet, what's good? following is a conversation that I have with one of my good friends, Don. I've known him for 24 years, I believe. He is a well-studied person in various areas. The preservation of scripture is something, I'm not going to say it's his specialty, but it's something that he's very keen on. So when I thought to have this conversation or to discuss this in a podcast, I thought, man, I really need to have Don on and have a conversation about this. So that's what I did. I invited him on. He joined me. This will be part one of what will Lord willing be a couple more videos. I don't know exactly how many, but this is a topic and a subject that you can really go long on. Here's the, here's the, the crux of the matter. If you don't trust me and you don't believe what I say, you're not going to listen to what I say. You're not going to follow my instructions. If you don't trust the Bible that you hold, if you think, ah, there's something wrong with this, well, then eventually you're, you are going to throw the baby out with the bathwater and not listen to any of it. The devil, that serpent, that wicked one in the, the first book of the Bible, in the book of Genesis, he says something to Eve, yea, hath God said, is this really what God said? Look, I think the tactic today is the same. Is this really what it says? So this is definitely a discussion I think is worth having. And so I hope you enjoy this conversation. Here we go. So this is my good friend, Don. I've known you for what now? 20, man, 24 years? I suppose so. 20, it's been a long time. 24 years. So I wanted to, to discuss the preservation of scripture and I contacted Don immediately and I said, I don't know a person that is more suited to cover this issue, like a, someone I know personally than you. So the preservation of scripture, you can lead it off however you want to attack verse first, uh, whatever verses you want to go to first. Well, let me let me ask you a question first. I guess that's how I'll lead off. Okay. Why does the preservation of scripture matter? That, that, that really is the question. Why does it matter? And, and it matters. Um, I'll tell you what, let's go to a verse of scripture. Okay. I believe that, um, Well, let's say John chapter 17. We'll start with Jesus' words in his uh, last evening with the disciples before the crucifixion. Okay. 
And I was just going to read a few verses, but we'll go through a few extra here. So verse number, starting verse number 11 of chapter 17. Um, and of course, it's during this prayer. And he says, and now I am no more in the world, but these are in the world. And I come to thee, Holy Father. Keep through thine own name those whom thou hast given me, that they may be one as we are. While I was with them in the world, I kept them in thy name. Those that thou gavest me I have kept, and none of them is lost, but the son of perdition, that scripture might be fulfilled. And now, I, sorry, and now come I to thee, and these things I speak in the world, that they might have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them thy word, and the world hath hated them, because... They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. I pray, not that thou shouldst take them out of the world, but that thou shouldst keep them from the evil. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. As thou sent me into the world, even so have I also sent them. And so forth. And you see right there, verse 14, I have given them thy word. Sanctify them through thy word. Thy word is truth. And hopefully I can find the verse quick enough. I think it's First Thessalonians. Or maybe over in Peter. First Thessalonians. I've skipped to Peter. First Thessalonians chapter three. Get away from Timothy. I didn't save my places here. It's okay. Take as much time as you need. All right, so let's just say verses 12 and 13 of chapter 3. And the Lord make you to increase and abound in love toward one another and toward all men, even as we do toward you. To the end, he may establish your hearts unblameable in holiness before God, even our Father, at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. And go over to chapter 5 and verse 23. And the very God of peace sanctify you wholly. I pray, you, God, your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And look at. See if this Jude verse is what I was looking for, too. Now, the verses don't stand alone. They do tie together. Right. Um, so like Jude verse number one says, Jude, the servant of Jesus Christ, the brother of James, to them that are sanctified by God the Father. Remember, John sanctified through the truth, the word. Right. Preserved in Christ Jesus and called. Mercy unto you and peace, be in love, be multiplied. And there's... Just a number of verses. I know I saw a couple. I don't. I assume I didn't write them down. 
because I'm not seeing, unless it's 2 Timothy chapter 4, which is possible. And verse 18, look at that real quick. Oh, this is, and the Lord shall deliver me from every evil work and will preserve me unto his heavenly kingdom to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Um, and what I'd, what I'd started thinking of when I wrote down a lot of those verses there and apparently missed a couple. Um, it's all good. Is, is just part of what what I learned over the course of uh, the last many years, uh, uh, been saved for 30 years and started learning this early on, you know, that the scripture was the word of God and stuff like that. But, um, but part of what I learned was that there's a lot of academics to it. When you study books, Mm. And and people getting into things about the scripture and inspiration and preservation, it a lot of times becomes really academic. You know, I could recommend mm. lots and lots of books, read plenty of stuff, but when they get somewhat academic, they sometimes miss stuff. Mm. Um, uh, but to go back to the question, not to give the full answer, but really the establishing of Christians— the settling of people's faith mm. is all through the word of God. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. He, uh, in the book of Romans, it says something about establish, strength, and settle you. Um, and you can take a literated outline out of that verse and go from there. Uh, there's, there's, there's that thought, though, repeatedly, is that an establishment in the Christian faith, settling in the Christian faith, uh, not blown about by every wind of doctrine. Mm, that's um, a good one. I just, in fact, saw this. I was looking at a a statement of faith, and this was a thought that came to my mind. Uh, the infallible rule of interpretation of Scripture is the Scripture itself, and therefore, when there is a question about the true and full sense of any Scripture— in parentheses, it says, which is not manifold, but one. Mm. It must be searched by other places that speak more clearly. And I've heard that interpreted in such a way as to say, when you get to a, a verse in the scripture, there's just this one interpretation. There's just one primary interpretation. You can apply it all over the place, but there's only one primary interpretation. But that's not what that's saying. That's saying the interpretation of Scripture is all one. It's connected together. Mm. You go from one verse to the next. You go clear, unclear verses are interpreted by clear verses. Oh, Plain things show you what seems to be hard to understand. And it's not that you're going to understand everything right away. But in this day and age, as you mentioned before we started talking, there's certain attacks on the Word of God, whether it's... Um, I believe the King James Bible, you know, there's a lot of attacks on that. Um, there's attacks on the word of God in different ways though. Mm. Um, and from multiple multitudes of different groups. Um, hold on just a second. 
Sorry, I had to get Carson to do something for me. But, um, yeah, the, the attacks on the Word of God, and of course, they don't want to say attacks and things like that. It's just, um, they're trying to share something, they're trying to help. Um, they say critiques. This is just a critique. Critique. Uh, yeah. Uh, As if we man found, could correct God. Yeah. There's a lot of stuff, yeah. <laughs> so we could go to a lot of different subjects. Of course, we might want to, if uh, if your listeners are more interested in hearing uh, something specific about inspiration, we could go that direction. I do want to go to a couple of verses on that, just to kind of, again, say beyond what the academics say. We want to go another step to to see us but but there's some things that i want to try to say today that have helped me through the years to see the issue in the broad scope that it is because mm. when you go in the academic part and you say there's inspiration they define it preservation and it's defined a certain way and then they say well see then now we have this version that version mm. Yeah, the King James Bible, and if somebody argues for the King James Bible based on this information, they can argue for English Standard Version based on the same information. And in, in an ignorant way, you can start that way. And once you dig into it, though, it doesn't work out. Mm. It, there's there's barriers to uh, following things up, but especially when you don't limit yourself in that ap- academic sense. So, I mean, the first thing really is in 2 Timothy chapter 3 is the classic verse on inspiration. At least one of the main ones. 2 Timothy 3.16 All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for proof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, Verse 17, that the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. Let's see. So that's the normal verse to go to. Go also to, I'm going to hold my place there and um, go to Peter. I think I already know where you're going. <laughs> well, second Peter chapter... One. Okay, I thought you was going somewhere else first. Oh, where did you think I was going? I thought you were going to where he mentioned Paul's writings and how people wrestle with them as they do other scriptures to their own destruction. Okay. Right, Second Peter uh, chapter three. Yep, and verse sixteen. And nothing wrong with that. Certainly shows that Peter acknowledged Scripture being written by Paul. Right. So acknowledges the inspiration of that. And I like some of the things you said in, in earlier in the chapters of the book of Acts that certain Gospels were possibly written by that time and that, that certain times it says the Scriptures can refer to that or maybe Paul in the book of Corinthians was referring to the gospels being written and th- so forth. And I agree with that. It's, there's certainly um, 
may or may not be able to identify them all, but certainly some of them were written down. Right. Um, but yeah, once uh, when we look at Second Peter, when we talk about all scriptures given by inspiration of God, Peter talks about inspiration or getting in scripture as well. In verse 15, I like to start up a little higher. Moreover, I will endeavor that ye may be able, after my decease, to have these things always in remembrance. For we have not followed cunningly devised fables when we, when we made known unto you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. But we but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received from God the Father honor and glory when there came such a voice to him from the excellent glory. This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And this voice which came from heaven we heard. We know that he said more than that too, by the way. Right. Um, when we were with him in the holy mount. So... Peter is saying, we were with him in the Holy Mount. We saw this when we told you about the coming of our Lord. We didn't follow cunningly devised fables. But even our eyewitness of his glory and that revelation, he says in verse 19, we also have a more sure word of prophecy, whereunto you do well that you take heed, as unto a light that shineth in a dark place, until the day dawn and the day star rise in your hearts, knowing this first, that no prophecy of the scripture is of, is of any private interpretation, for the prophecy, the scripture, came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. Mm. So inspiration a better definition than most academics will give you is the moving of the Holy Ghost. It's not just, uh, which normally they take all scriptures given by inspiration of God, the Greek word there is whatever it is, and they say it means God breathed. And it's not wrong to say that entirely, because over in, in Luke and... Um, in Matthew, where Jesus is tempted of Satan, he says, uh, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God or every the word other which proceeds out of the mouth of God. Yeah. yeah. One of them says that and one of them just says every, every word, word of, God. of God. Right. So the every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God, sure, it's God breathed, but it's the moving of the Holy Ghost on the people that scripted it, which is written it down. Right. They wrote it down in scripture. So, or they spoke to somebody and somebody wrote it down for them like Jeremiah. Um, and um, Paul, I believe in the book of Romans. Well, I won't give you everything I believe about the book of Romans, but Paul spoke it and Tertius wrote it down. He says, I, Tertius, wrote this epistle toward the end of it. Right. And um, so anyway, the moving of the Holy Ghost is involved in inspiration. 
And when people go to say academically something like it's God breathed, that means that all the words are given by God and God gave all these words and there's a special touch on them to get the word and that's what inspiration is. I step back because there's one other place in the Bible that the word inspiration is used and that's in the book of Job. Mm. And if scripture is supposed to define scripture... I think we should go back to Job and see what it says. And it's, I did not write the verse down, but I think I remember where it is. I may get in trouble on this, may need to look it up. Um, it's all good. Let me see. I'm 34, gonna... I think. Job 34. I think it's in 34. Okay, let me see. Oh, 33. Got to be in 33. Well... I'll tell you, while you're looking for that, I will mention something. There is one place where I believe it's said both in the book of Acts and in one of the Gospels. I think the Lord Jesus Christ uh, mentioned the Holy Ghost uh, spake by David. I think it, it goes mm -hmm. something like that. It, it, it stated something like that. Right. There's several times just like that. So, like I said, the moving of the Spirit of God, God speaking to him. The scripture saith to several, like the scripture says to Pharaoh, and it's Moses saying something to him. Um, well, let's see here. Okay, well, in chapter 33, just to give you a verse that goes along with it, though, verse number four, um, Elihu is speaking. Okay. He says, the spirit of God hath made me, and the breath of the Almighty hath given me life. And that does that ties into it, too. The, 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 <laughs> you can apply that to the word of God. The word of God gives us life. But it is actually chapter 32. In verse number 8, he's still the one speaking. He says, but there's a spirit in man. And the inspiration of the Almighty giveth them understanding. Mm. And if you ever do a study on the leading of the Spirit, the, the teaching of the Spirit in Corinthians, where it says, uh, comparing spiritual things with spiritual, spiritual, what the Holy Ghost teacheth, the Holy Ghost leads, guides, directs, and gives us light through the Word. Mm. Okay, but when people sit there and say inspiration was X, Y, Z, the scriptures were given, now we've got it. And a lot of people go there and then say, well, it's been preserved since then, but inspiration's done and gone. I'm not talking about like some people's strange beliefs about double inspiration or anything like that. Inspiration just hasn't ceased. Inspiration is the moving of the spirit of God. Mm. So you're okay. so, so you're arguing that maybe the way we understand inspiration is slightly skewed 
And so what we believe about inspiration of the scripture is not necessarily 100% accurate. Right. And a lot of it more has to do with where you go with that. Mm. For instance, like if, if you say inspiration is just that part where the apostles, Luke, you know, Mark and John, uh, Paul, they were inspired to write. But then you've got that, that authority there. And if that's ceased and done, and all we have is the scripture to go by, and we've got to just try to rightly interpret it the best we can, but like a question you asked, how do we know that those are the scriptures? Well, you've got to then and have in some way that authoritative group say, this was it. Mm. You do have Peter saying, acknowledging, hey, you know, he's got the scriptures that he wrote down. And um, there are other scriptures that are wrestled with by these people that deny God, too. Um, so Peter is witnessing to that, sure. But he doesn't say, uh, the book of Hebrews is what we're talking about. And right. this, that, and another thing. There's no list that has the signature of all the apostles. <clears throat> so understanding that that moving of the Holy Ghost is what inspiration actually is. And people call it different things to try to distinguish illumination, the guidance or leading and stuff like that and say, well, it's not, we're not going to call it inspiration because you got this particular view of inspiration and trying to separate it. Mm. I think that it comes problems with that. And then people aren't necessarily as established or settled as they should be. Mm. And then the same thing would go for preservation. We talk about the preservation of Scripture. Most people go to, like, Psalm chapter uh, 12, and we'll, we'll look at that. And they'll say, well, the, God inspired the words, and then, then he's going to preserve them through all ages. Um, like Jesus said, uh, heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. And then he mentions the jots and the tittles and stuff like that. But in Psalm 12, it's hardly contested also. It's strange. Once, once a very good um, defense of the scripture is given, people like to try to go to that as much as they can to change, to say, well, such and such an interpreter back there said it actually meant this. And we have a different translation, and your Sinecralum reference, you know, all that. We can go into as much detail about that as you like, but as much but, detail as you want to go. But this is we'll this keep is, it this basic is your show right today. now. <laughs> yeah, basic for now. Okay. In Psalm twelve, verse six, the words of the Lord are pure words, as silver tried in a furnace of earth, purified seven times. Thou shalt keep them, O Lord. Thou shalt preserve them from this generation forever. And just basic grammar would tell you that means it's the words of the Lord. The words are preserved. He's going to keep them from this generation forever. Um, there's a good book that gives you a lot of verses along these lines. Um, Defending the King James Bible by D.A. White, or Waite, rather. God's word kept intact in English, what he calls it, fourfold superiority. But there's a section in there. I wouldn't be able to find it quickly. 
where he says, he brings out several verses. The word is commended to a thousand generations. The generations about 40 years, thousand generations is 40,000 years, right? So, or however you define that. We're not to that 40 or 20,000 years, whatever you want to call a generation. So, the word is still here, obviously. Now, the key would be making sure that we know what it is, you know. Where where is that word? And like I said earlier, I think that's that's really what settles us. Um, now, some people do argue with this and say that the preservation is of the people, not of the words. And it's strange that people's arguments, they don't really think about them very well hmm. because... If you think about that argument at all, how would you prove the people were preserved? Mm. Yeah, that'd be hard from that, from those verses in, in that context. I would, I would have to do Well, I mean, stretching. even that, how would you know there anything about it if it wasn't preserved? Mm. You got to have the promise preserved of right. the people being preserved. Right. For there to be any <laughs> very good point promise to be fulfilled, it's point. so, and that's just a basic first thought, and then there's grammar and everything else. Um, but the preservation of the word, and <clears throat> um, in verse one of chapter sixteen, it says, "Preserve me, O God, for in Thee do I put my trust." And there are many verses about preservation, and I read several of them toward the beginning. Uh, it preserved your whole body, soul, and spirit, blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Um, if we go to First Peter chapter number one and verse number five, it says, "Who are kept by the power of God, mm. and um, the reward that's reserved in heaven for you." Mm. There's a preservation is beyond, again, the scripture itself. This, the preservation of us as the people of God is clearly taught in scripture. And there's a parallel with that in the scripture. Mm. I would, You know what? Realistically, I would have never thought to even make that argument right there. And, and it's, it's, it's there. And it's very clear. I, you saying it like a, a flood of verses have gone through my exactly. head. Right? As you, as you've said exactly. Exactly. Yeah. If you read the Word of God, you, you you get these things in your mind. Once you see it, it just it opens up. And um, to put it to a particular and a practical sense, when we're saying that the Word of God was given by inspiration, is given to the people of God, so the people of God have the Word. They're the ones that believe it and receive it. Um, if you talk about canonization of Scripture, what's the Word of God and what's not? Why is the uh, Shepherd of Hermas not in the Scripture? Why, why is the apocryphal books not in our Bible? It's because the people of God don't receive that as the Word of God. There, it doesn't. The, the Holy Ghost doesn't move through those things. Mm. It's it's separate from it. You, There's other reasons. That's a you know. just to interject. That's a very good point. 
because the point being, we as believers, we all believe the Bible. We believe that we are indwelled by the Spirit of God. We believe that the Spirit of God does move. That being the case, would not the Spirit of God move <laughs> to preserve this book so we know what is actually said? And and to just like I said, just to interject, if we don't, if I don't know that this book is true, then what do I trust? Do I trust my own heart? Do I trust what some random person says? Now, I guess the argument can be made. Well, we're all men. You know, the Holy Spirit of God is moving. But at the end of the day, we're all men. So how Mm -hmm. do we trust that, you know, at some point it wasn't corrupted? Now, that's a whole nother argument. You don't have necessarily have to. attack. Well, and, And that's really where that parallel comes from. That's down through the ages. The word was given to the people of God. They kept it. They used it. They preached it. They they met together. You go to like Ephesians uh, chapter. I think it's chapter two. Or maybe three. And probably four because I'm not looking at it right. Okay, so four. And verse number three, endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. And many other verses dealing with church activity, the the people of God in the book of Acts, the first part of the book of Acts continued daily, uh, breaking of bread and in the apostles' doctrine, in the word of God, the word of God grew mightily. Um, Great was the company of them that published it. The, the, The word of God was received by them and given by them when the persecutions come you know going down through history and the persecutions are coming and they have copies of the word of god the ones that are preaching the word and then being persecuted and uh and uh burned at stakes or killed in some other way their scriptures also confiscated and destroyed but people that heard that same gospel had copies of those were continued to preach the word of God. It's that historical study is showing the preservation, not the preservation exactly where we were and like each of us individually to preserve us, but the preservation of the people of God. Jesus said, upon this rock, I'll build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So from when he established his church, down through the ages, he commissioned it, said, go preach the gospel to every creature. Those that are saved, baptize them and teach them all things whatsoever I've commanded you. Uh, and lo, I'm with you into the end of the world. And that preservation of the people of God through the years, the church of Jesus Christ that he established has been the keepers of the word of God. Right. Okay. And, and let, let, let me, let me make this, this comment here, because you said something that, I, you know, I've been talking to my kids about this and I made a simple comment and I'll let, let you continue after this is I believe God parted the Red Sea. I, I don't know of anybody who believes the Bible that doesn't believe that. Right. I believe that God allowed Elijah and Elijah 
to raise people from the dead. I don't know of a person who believes the Bible that does not believe that. Right. Um, I believe that Elijah was able to call fire from heaven and, you know, uh, uh, burn the sacrifice. The Bible, the Bible uh, expounds on this. I believe it. Here's what's interesting. We will believe all of that. We will believe God can part a sea, stop the sun in its tracks, allow men to raise people from the dead. But we have a hard time believing God can preserve a book. That's a that's a wild like (laughs) it's a wild misstep to me. Like, I don't understand. I don't even understand that thought process. I I. It's hard to understand that, especially when you when you go back to think, how do you even know? Right. <laughs> it's got to be in the book. Right. You know, they didn't burn every single one of them. Right. Even if they did, Jeremiah, after everything was destroyed that he had written, he said, okay, take another scroll, write this down again. I'll even add to it. <laughs> right. So... Um, not that we would ever lose it like that, but the, the Bible has been persecuted right along with Christians, right mm. along with those Bible believers and, um, through the dark ages. And that's a great study. Um, and this is kind of three lines of preservation, but they, they just mingle together because that's, that's the way it's gotta be. God can use some heathen king to do something you know god can use somebody that doesn't believe anything to you know further his cause and accomplish a goal he did it with nebuchadnezzar jeremiah Mm -hmm. he sent jeremiah to tell the people yo if you don't submit to my boy nebuchadnezzar you won't exist anymore Mm -hmm. nebuchadnezzar for sure was not a believer (laughs) right yeah and but um in 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 most cases, and in the cases of this specifically having to do with the word, the promise wasn't that he's going to preserve his word by you know, hiding it away, let's say, in some vault somewhere. Right. And somebody will stumble across it in 2020. And then once the scholars get a good look at it, then they'll... They'll let it out to the public, and then then you have the preserved word of God. Right. No, they, he said, "Take the word, go preach it." That's that's his method of right. preservation. It's through the years, through the people of God. Um, and as you mentioned to me, like like um, I've heard several different kind of attacks coming up on on the word of God. And a lot of subjects that I deal with um, kind of come back to the same idea and the same thing with the the Bible. The Bible, to to put it like a flat, easy to understand thing, to ward off problems, if you just keep this in mind, the Bible does not need to be restored. It is preserved. Mm. It's been there. It's still here. (laughs) So everybody trying to restore it to something that was lost is wrong. Right. The whole Hebrew roots movement, I think, is based on that. Trying to say, oh, we've lost the name of God, which 
King James Bible says it's Jehovah. I'm going to stay with that. It's always stayed like that. Uh, that's another subject for a different time. But when <laughs> there's a whole group and they're coming out saying, oh, we found all these things that show you how to pronounce it. It's not Yahweh. And that's a big deal with some people. It's not Yahweh. It is, they'll say, Yehovah. They need another step, but uh, right. but it's Jehovah, and it's pronounced that way. It's been that way the entire time. It's been preserved. I think it doesn't need to be restored. Yeah, I, I but think they, I that's think, one thing. Yeah, I think some of those arguments. Forgive me for uh, for interrupting. I think some of those mm -hmm. arguments are very semantic. Like, um, okay, so we're we're arguing about a pronunciation. Like this, mm -hmm. so this is your big, this is your big. Oh, got it. We didn't have it. Come on. Like, whatever. <laughs> well, and it comes from the scholar says it first this way. Justinius said it's Yahweh, which was Jupiter, uh, the Greek myth mythological god. Right. And people kind of recognized it back then and said, no, 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 it's not right. It's not right. It's not right. It's not right. And they stayed with Jehovah for many, many years. And then recent scholars are like, oh, Justinius said it. Um, Trigellus in editing Jacinius said he re redacted that or rec recanted it, whatever he, words he used. So wherever Jacinius recanted it, which these things are written in different languages. That's another thing some people don't understand that, that aren't, aren't scholars. And I'm not saying I'm a scholar. I understand it because I, I sit there and look and read uh, constantly trying to figure this stuff out. Um, where people are coming from, but it's in some edition of something, and it's probably written in Latin where he says that I was wrong about Jupiter, right? You know, and it never got back to that. But then some scholar comes along and is reading his English translation, uh, or whoever's translation of mm. Justinius, and says, Oh, it's, Ju it's Jupiter and Yahweh, yeah, that's what it is, and they go run with it. It's like, man, come on, we gotta study this out again, come back and bring it back and again. Here's what's here is what is so interesting about hearing you say this. It takes me back, I believe it's the book of Romans, if I'm not mistaken, where the Bible says God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And to your point, the scholars mm -hmm. are given almost godlike credit. Like, oh, he's a scholar, so his answer must be right. And and I will just say this. I, I, I hate to keep interrupting you because I, I appreciate I appreciate your 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 vast years of research. But I think one of the biggest problems, and you can correct me if I'm wrong on this, again, you you studied this way more than me, is people have a lack of command of their own language, namely the English language. I'll I'll read, I'll read you know, the Bible, I use the King James Bible. I know people, you know, decide to use other versions. I'm not going to get into that discussion, but so when people say, oh, you know, they translated this word like charity, let's take that one. It should have been this. And you, you can't really translate this word because there's so much to it. And I'm like, well, no, charity is actually love and action. It's like not just the word or the emotion. So when you're arguing for the word agape, like it's some unique, different love. I'm like, well, if you actually read the definition of charity, I, I understand why to use that word. Like that, that actually makes perfect sense. Yeah. So, so nothing is actually lost 
in that translation. I got exactly what was said, but because we have a lack of a command of our own language, we don't know mm-hmm. these things. I think I mean, that's a yeah. bigger issue. No, I, I totally agree. And, and it's that we don't, we, we don't have that comprehension of our own language. And then we try to get into Hebrew, which we don't have any understanding of. And we try to get into Greek, and we don't have much understanding of. You can certainly get around in it, and you can learn these things. There's nothing wrong with going in that direction and trying to. A good way to learn the letters of the Hebrew alphabet, if you get a King James Bible from Oxford or Cambridge, go to Psalm 119, and it gives you the Hebrew letters and pronounces them for you. Tells you what what the word is. Uh, the letters you, are. You know what? I, and I forgot about that. I forget about that every time because it's right at the beginning of each of each set. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, just just temper what you study, because the thing is, there's all kinds of stuff out there. Mm. And then read it and study it, compare it to the Bible. You know, keep keep your mind in the word mostly. Because when somebody says something that's wrong, the Bible's the one, the thing is going to point that out more than anything else. And it, sitting there thinking about what people say um, and the argument that they give, let's say it's a specific thing about scripture, usually you'll see in that scripture where it is not to get into any particular subject right now, but there have been people that tried to, they're like, here's the verse. Here's what it says. I'll look at the verse. And says, yep. And three verses above it and below it. And I know the context and it's the exact opposite of what you said it is. <laughs> right. Like all you gotta do is sing about it. I heard a preacher and evangelist on television say this, this is how people get mixed up in scholarship. And he was trying to make a point. It was dramatic. And he had somebody from his congregation kneeling down. He's talking about the Passover in Egypt. And he said, when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And he says, that, that word Passover, you can look it up in your strongs. So I did the same thing after he said this. He said, it does not say uh, to hop over to leap over. But he took his coat off and he drug it over his congregation member or guy, whoever he's bodyguard or whatever. Right. And I said, that doesn't sound right. It's just not meshing. Oh, he got the crowd fired up. But I'm like, that is just doesn't sound probably half the crowd maybe fired up. The other half was doing the same thing to me. It's like, what are you talking? Mm, like, wait, wait a minute. A minute. <laughs> I think that it's not saying that. So if you do look it up in the Strongs, exactly the opposite. It says to hop over, to leap over, something to that effect. To, okay. to go over not touching rather than touching. And you read the context and it says if she sees the blood, he's going to pass over the house. He's right. going to leave it alone. Right. The first not touch son anyone will inside. Not die. Right. If there's not blood, he's coming in to touch that. Right. That's what he did with his coat. I'm like, you people don't think about what you're doing. Right. And it's right there in the context of the scripture. He's wanting to use one verse and he's wanting to say, like, the God will come and rub over you when he passes over you. Like, you could have used. 
20 different other illustrations instead of this wrong one it's to make be- that point. It's because we want to analogize our way through the Bible. And look, I, I right. love, I love analogies. it. Yeah. I love analogy in some way. And sometimes they help understand certain things. But even when I use analogies, I always make this mm-hmm. comment. My analogy falls short, but this is the best I can do in, in a way to explain this. But to mm-hmm. understand it, like you said, just read read the scripture. Now, sometimes an analogy might help give you a little, okay, yeah, that 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 gives me a little better understanding. But the context gave me everything I needed to fully mm-hmm. digest this. Well, yeah, in this particular instance, it's like that's the wrong analogy, though. You're using the you're you got it mixed up. You you know, go the other direction. Somewhere where the Holy Ghost came upon somebody. That's that's great, you know. Right. To, to Samson. <laughs> right, right. You can you can do all kinds of stuff with that. But but yeah, it, you hear these things all the time. And like I said, I mean, the main thing is staying in the Bible, staying in the Word of God. Um, we are so we're like blessed with the technology. You got a phone. The Word of God can be on it. You can have Bluetooth earbuds sitting there playing it all day in your ears like it takes 82 hours or something like that to go through the bible at normal speed you can understand it at probably two times speed right that's that's less than a week of you know yeah to go through the we, entire bible and not saying crazy. we have to or anything like that but it's just the possibilities it's, it's the possibilities yeah, yeah and we have so many resources um i love books um yeah, I can tell. I, I collect them. <laughs> I try to read them. Um, now we've got that thing, Google Lens. That's going to be really helpful. This book right here that I'm reading, still trying to get through because it is tough. It's written in mostly English. And then he'll go in Latin and he won't explain it. And he'll go and quote Greek authors and won't translate that. So Google Lens is going to help me out with that thing. And... um but I can kind of work through it and see what he's saying. Okay, he's using that word. It was changed to this, or somebody argued about this, that, and the other. But a lot of this has been um, taking the argument of a critic against the Bible. The last 12 verses of Mark's one of those oh, places. Oh, yeah. I've been watching like, a bunch of videos going over yeah. that lately. Yeah. It's, a, it's amazing because it's, there's two, two manuscripts of very dubious and questionable history and everything uh, another subject for another time that don't have it in there one of those has a space that it could fit in according to James Snap according to James Snap now back in Bergen's day he said there's 620 I think or 618 or 620 two don't have the verses Every other one does. Some of the end parts are defective. You know, some of the pages are ripped. And you can tell that it's there, but it was just gone. So you don't know the word specifically. But but every manuscript out there, and James Snap says that's been increased by over a thousand more manuscripts now. And right. they still haven't found one. They haven't found one that has changed that fact. That there's two, man- two manuscripts witness against it. And now, 1,650-something have 
the 12 verses of Mark. Those are just the ones that have Mark in the end of it to show that that it's there. Right. And um, and that's all just Greek. Then you go into other languages, Latin and Armenian and everything else. Right. And and continue to get witness, witness, and witness. So, um, but that's 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 a deeper part of that that whole thing too. Um, and for the sake of those that think there's another manuscript out there, um, there was one that they argued for a cursive. And then Kurt Alon said, that's not it, because somebody ripped the last page off to get the picture that was on the backside of it, of mm. Luke, to start Luke. So they, they wanted it for that. So they tore that page. Like, okay. So they took that out of their list, and they put in another thing, which is a, it's called a katina, which is a mixture of the, the verses of Scripture um, uh, with a commentary. And some bringing in other verses from other books. And, but that's dealt with in this book. And he explains exactly what happened. Says that the person who published it said it was a defective copy. That didn't include those last 12 verses. But should mm. have. Uh, for what? It, but that guy's book is written in Latin. So I can't even find it. Because it's, it's a Latin title. Which is going to be hard on archive. Right. And then I'm going to have to look at it and try to translate it and see exactly what he said. Right. But based on what Bergon said, he said that that manuscript doesn't witness to that exclusion either. And even if it did, that's three and, and versus 1600. Here's a here's a simple, simple thought. Isn't it is shouldn't it be obvious that this is eerily similar to what happened in the garden? Yay. Hath God said, exactly. like for for me, maybe I'm just too simple in my thinking. Maybe I need to think some more and be a little more critical. To me, when I hear some of these arguments, my mind immediately goes back there. Like, yo, this sounds just like this sounds yeah. just like what happened there. And that's really, I'd say, that's most people's starting point. So I tend to not even necessarily mention it, you know, because there's a lot that can be said about it too, and and. It's just been said so much. It's like, okay, let them say it, and and I'll go on to something else. Maybe we'll find something that's interesting. But to go to this, so we're talking it's like preservation of the last twelve verses of Mark. Not only did all like the manuscripts attest to it, the the Bible itself does. When when he's talking about the argument from internal evidence. And the critics saying this word, that word, and these words aren't Mark's words. If all you hear is there's 24 words and Mark never uses them this way or that way or doesn't use them at all, you're like, okay. Now he writes them all out in Greek and lets you go look them up. He doesn't translate it usually to English, but he goes and uh back this was written back in 1871 when this book was published before that was published shortly um john brodus also published a little article about the same idea and said well let's look at what they're saying and they would say this is this word's not used but it's a 
the way that the a verb is used, right? Mm. It's like the form of a particular verb. And he does use that verb, just not in that form. But he, and he uses it all throughout his gospel. It's like, well, how in the world do you get that he just changed the form of it, you know, for a couple of verses at the end of his gospel and therefore didn't use it? And he, even, oh, it's almost six. Yeah, even even that. <laughs> okay, uh, I'll, I'll wrap it up. So we're going to, Lord willing, we're going to continue this conversation. Come back yeah, we'll probably do several videos. But, but to that point before we go, I think that I've always felt like that was a silly argument. I can write a book and at the very end of my book, use six or seven words I didn't use in the rest of the book. What does, does that right. mean? I didn't write it. Like that's a, that's an argument that for it's me, it's not even worth argument. having. I'm just like, Oh my goodness. Like this is really, this is the argument. Like, okay. I'm yeah. Good. <laughs> there's a lot more to be said about it too, but uh, we'll, yeah, we'll have to come back and get it uh, so later. I appreciate you joining me uh, today. This will be one of, I, I don't know how many, uh, just, yeah, this was a brief, this wasn't even, but I've talked to Don many times on this issue over the years. So I know this was just like skimming the surface of the things that, that you've, that you've researched, B but still a subject that I think is necessary because if you get to the point where you don't trust your Bible, everything falls apart, which is exactly. the goal that that's the goal ultimately. So Thank you again for joining me. I appreciate it. We will be back to revisit and talk about some more things. <laughs>